It is time for us to begin our midday program here on a Monday, February 10th. Scott in here with you. It is a very nice looking day outside. I can't speak for exactly what it feels like, but it's sunny as I look out the Caribbean AccuWeather window with the big bush in front of it. 31 degrees right now. Actually, we'll check that. I'm going to update that. 34 degrees. So uh, pretty good stuff. We begin our midday program as we talk about the things that uh, we'll be talking about over the next couple hours. Susan Littlefield is here along with Jason Jorgensen and Bob Brogan to get things going. We'll start it off with Susan Littlefield. Good morning, Susan. Well, good morning. Let me tell you, it feels a lot warmer out there. Does it? And 34 degrees. Well, good. We're becoming acclimatized to this stuff, I think. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Until I head to Florida tomorrow for a meeting, then I'll be dying of heat. Yeah, I'll break your. You know what? You're not going to get a lot of sympathy. I'm going to be honest. With I know. You I figured this. not. Yeah, that's just not. Gonna I happen. figured not. Yeah, right. So anyway, what do you, what do you got for us today? Well, we're going to kick it all off with Shaley Peters as she's going to be talking about a meeting that's been taking place, and she'll have an interview with T.J. Walker giving us more details. Then at 12:45, it is uh, Shaley stepping back in again as she'll talk with Kim Siebert. More on this RWBJV meeting that's been going on with beef. And then we'll wrap it all up at 117 as Bryce comes in as he talks about the UNL Beef Scholars Program and why the students part of the program, and they were at the 2020 Cattle Industry Convention last week. Okay, very good. Well, and uh, have a safe, safe flight to Florida, I guess. And- yeah. U.S. Grains Council okay. international meeting, so that's always a, a great meeting with a lot of folks from all over okay. the, the world. All right, very good. Well, we'll be looking forward to hearing about that more. Thank all right, you. sounds good. Thanks, Thanks Susan. Turn it over to Jason Jorgensen, who is probably not on his way to Florida. No, I am on my way to Missouri later on this it's close, week. It's but close. Uh, back to uh, you know her gathering. I can't believe they don't have that like Duluth or shouldn't Fargo they? This time International of year. Falls is I a mean, beautiful place this time. Probably of year. get some cheap rates on rooms this time of year. <laughs> Come on, people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, hey, I watched a little bit of the XFL. So did I. I. I was. It was okay. It was okay. It was okay, and I had read some of the reviews on it, and I think others who watched it thought it was okay, too. Yeah. Although I remember the same reviews coming yeah. out on the, uh, what was that, American a- a- Alliance a- a- of Football, right. whatever. Yeah. Although those people didn't have Vince McMahon's money behind them, right? like the XFL does. And, the, and the, apparently the TV network's involved in it, too. Right, so. uh that bunch was involved with CBS, in which the ratings for that had been pretty decent. Uh-huh. But uh, I, for one, hopes I hope it uh, too. you know sticks and hangs around. So we time will tell. Right. Also, we'll talk some Husker women's basketball. They continue to struggle. Got down by twenty five yesterday and couldn't pull it out against eighteenth ranked Indiana. They played themselves off the NCAA they tournament. Absolutely have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we won't even talk about them. <laughs> no, we right won't. We'll just pass right on by. All right. <laughs> Bob Brogan is here. Stocks are uh, doing all right. They're in positive territory right, right now, and they're kind of going back and forth a little bit. Markets have swung sharply in both directions as investors try to gauge how much damage uh, that uh, the spreading of that virus is doing. Meanwhile, the Justice Department says four Chinese military hackers have been charged with breaking into personal computers and into networks and stealing all kinds of information. Uh, so that's hit the bricks today, and uh, so the U.S. Justice Department has uh, charged those four. Okay. All right. That's all coming up on Mid. 
Covering agriculture is a big commitment. When KRVN takes you on the road for agriculture, you might hear us reporting across town, across the country, or across the ocean. We thank our equally committed on-the-road sponsors. The Nebraska Corn Board. Nebraska Land National Bank. And the Nebraska Soybean Board. Powering our Ag News travel aboard the KRVN Soy Biodiesel Pickup. On the road for agriculture. Because it's a big story. Oh. Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in here with me as per usual. And, you know, something I haven't seen for a while, Paul, I just mentioned as we open up the visual satellite, it, it's pretty clear around the state of Nebraska and into Kansas. Exactly. Just uh, maybe a stretch of some thin clouds stretching from about Omaha down through Grand Island, south of Kearney to about the McCook here. And otherwise, yeah, a lot of sunshine across here. We'll see some clouds mixed with the sunshine, but very, very quiet weather over the next week coming up. I, I heard somebody say moderate. That's a, that's a pretty good way of looking at today. <laughs> Not a whole lot going on except for a, a, a cool off on Thursday, and you'll probably talk about that. Exactly, yeah. We have one day of some very cold air coming in on Thursday, but that's just one day. Otherwise, pretty seasonal to above normal on the temperatures. Right now, we have most of our temperatures in the low and mid-30s, especially across central and east areas of Nebraska and much of central and east Kansas. Temperatures a little warmer, though, as you head towards the west. We do have some readings into the upper 40s from about the Ainsworth area down through the Thetford, Ogallala, and then into the northeast corner of Colorado and also into northwest Kansas. But all in all, most of us with temperatures right now in the low and mid-30s. Mild and mainly dry weather will continue as that main storm track stays well to our south. The exception of one-day bitter cold interruption on Thursday. Today's temperature is seasonal as a drop of low pressure brings a slight increase in clouds to mix with the sun, and that will turn our winds to the north. Sunshine increases with more seasonal temperatures on the way for tomorrow and Wednesday. A little more sunshine expected tomorrow as high pressure builds in from the west. An Arctic front will plunge south late on Wednesday. Now, behind that front, temperature is Thursday, 15 degrees colder than normal with some light snow possible, but nothing major. Temperatures, though, warming back to seasonal as we head towards Friday. We will also get some breezy southerly winds on the backside of high pressure sliding towards the east. Little snow is possible for Friday night with the approach of a weak cold front. Those temperatures, though, will remain near seasonal for Saturday before they warm to above normal for Sunday when that cold front lifts back as a warm front. That warmer air has led to a major change in last week's colder long-term forecast. You may have remembered last week looking pretty uh, cold in the long-term forecast all the way through about the 23rd of uh, this month. Now the temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas this weekend and early next week going to be near seasonal or near normal for this time of year. By the middle of next week through the 23rd of this month, chances are good for above normal temperatures. So basically near normal to above normal temperatures this weekend through the 23rd of February for both Nebraska and Kansas. Slightly above normal precipitation this weekend through the 23rd for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the U.S. Key weather factors impacting the markets include drier weather to favor central Brazil soybean harvest and a stormy and cold week ahead in the Midwest. In the U.S., the next several days, two surges of moisture will deliver heavy rain from eastern Texas to the central and southern Appalachians, where rivers are still running high from last week's heavy rain. Additional flooding may occur. Favorably dry weather will prevail the next five days in the upper Midwest. During the second half of this week, cold air will surge south across the northern plains, Midwest, and northeast. 
in the Midwest. Saturated soils continue to be very concerning for field work prospects this coming spring. The Midwest will be cold and stormy this week. This past weekend, Minnesota to Michigan had heavy snow, while the southern Midwest had rain. And this week, more rain and possible flooding is expected in the southern and eastern Midwest, along with that bitter Arctic cold in northern areas. The northern plains also expect an artery outbreak of Arctic cold this next week, with temperatures expected to fall well below zero and wind chills reaching 40 below. The bitter cold, strong winds, and periods of snow will lead to a threat of blizzard conditions during the midweek. 8 to 14 days from now in the northern plains looks to be more seasonal. Central Brazil had heavy rain this past weekend. Lighter rain is forecast seven days out, and that will improve efforts for soybean harvest and second crop corn planting. All right. Boy, the the south continues to get some more uh, rain going through there with that. Uh, they've, had, they've had a wet couple of weeks. Exactly. Yeah, areas of the southeast U.S. not really needing that moisture, but right. uh, portions of the southern plains that ideal for some wheat uh, harvest areas yeah, or they, for wheat, winter yeah, wheat. They could, they could certainly use that. <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather tab, krvn.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters joining you from Grand Island at the Rainwater Basin Joint Venture. Visiting here with T.J. Walker, Assistant Division Administrator of the Wildlife Division, Nebraska Game and Parks. And T.J., you spoke recently. Uh, you work a lot with birds. And I'll let you do the talking, though. Tell us a little bit about what you presented on at this year's meeting. And uh, we'll fold that into a couple other areas as well here in just a little bit. Okay. Um, well... Today I presented on grassland birds and the ties to grazing and grazing management across the state. Um, within Nebraska, we've got a wide range of grassland birds that like things from short grass prairie to tall grass prairie from west to east uh, that are dependent upon grazing and grazing management for their survival. The conservation community in the past has done a great job of promoting healthy rangelands, and our landowners have done an even better job of creating those. They've done really well at um, managing stocking rates and managing utilization to produce these healthy grasslands across the state. Um, unfortunately, there's some consequences to that on both ends of the, uh, the spectrum where we have some grassland birds that do need overutilized areas and we have some grassland birds that need um, almost unutilized areas. And so as we move forward, um, we may be looking to try to work with some producers to see if there are opportunities to overutilize some areas, um, maybe even if just for one season or one year, um, to try to help some of these species that are on the decline uh, just simply because there's too much grass out there in places. Which is kind of hard to believe because I think when people think of concerns, they think of overgrazing, but that's almost what you're asking them to do. So uh, maybe talk about some of these species and how grazing fits into that and maybe how landowners can get involved. Um, you did mention the what they need to be doing, but how they get involved with something like this and maybe who's uh, an ideal candidate for a situation like this. Okay, well, we have areas across the state that are um, identified within our Nebraska Natural Legacy Project, our biologically unique landscapes. Um, we've been working in these areas quite a while already, uh, doing a lot of things like cedar removal, um, prescribed fire. Both of those are things we're still, you know, still promoting and still working with landowners on. Um, 
in some of these biologically unique landscapes, we may target something like McCown's longspur out in the northwest pan- part of the panhandle. That species needs very, very short vegetation, um, fair amount of bare ground. So in those areas, we may be trying to work with a landowner or two that are willing to try something different um, to try to do some overutilization in those areas to encourage uh, McCown's longspurs to be there. Uh, in places like the sand hills, we have long-billed curlew as a species of concern. They like to kind of nest around low-lying areas um, where you may have kind of a meadowy type situation, and then they typically would nest in the area around that. Now, historically, that area would have been overutilized. The meadowy area would have been overutilized by livestock. The ring around it would have been a little less overutilized in that, you know, kind of sparse but still somewhat tall area around that is where curlews used to nest. A lot of those areas are now knee-high to waist-high grass because they're not being utilized the way they used to be. All right, thank you. It's T.J. Walker with the Nebraska Game and Parks as he visits with us from the Rainwater Basin Joint Ventures recent meeting in Grand Island. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at sports. Jason Jorgensen in here with me as uh, we get things going here on a Monday and sort of a busy weekend, but it looks like uh, looks like a former Husker getting a new job. That's right. Former Nebraska offensive coordinator Troy Walters has found a new gig, helps to know people. Mm-hmm. He's been hired as a new wide receivers coach of the Cincinnati Bengals by head coach. Zach Taylor. Of course, Walters had been the offensive coordinator the last four years with Scott Frost at Nebraska and before that at Central Florida. Now, I have to admit, I did not know this, but Walters had spent eight years in the NFL as a player. Hmm. I guess if I knew that, I had forgotten that. I'll be darned. He did see how the wide receivers played at uh, Nebraska last year, didn't he? Yes. Okay, just checking. uh, We'll see if uh, he can do some wonders there in Cincinnati. Husker women's basketball team continues to struggle here in the back half of the season. Had a valiant comeback yesterday, but it wasn't enough as they fell at home to 18th-ranked Indiana, 57-53. The Huskers dug themselves a 25-point second-quarter deficit. Came back and tied the game of the fourth quarter, but then Indiana made two plays and two free throws in the final minute. For the Huskers, they have to be scratching their head. Uh, Coach Amy Williams-Bunch has lost a ton of close games. She's got to be pulling her hair out. Uh, they're just 5-8 and eight now in the Big Ten, 15-9 overall. Look to try to get back on track Thursday night when they take on Penn State. Men's top 25 college poll. Well, Baylor's still ranked number one. Gonzaga is second. KU remains third. Creighton, who had an okay week, they remain uh, ranked 23rd in the country as they are 18-6 and six overall. Big ACC matchup tonight in men's college basketball as 7th-ranked Duke will take on 8th-ranked Florida State. It's the only regular season meeting between these two. So we'll see what happens between the Devils and the uh, Seminoles tonight. Junior co-captain Tiara Schmidt of McCook set a new school record in the weight throw and had a career-best effort in the shot to lead the UNK track teams on day two of the Bearcat Open. Schmidt had a day to remember she broke a 19-year-old loper standard in the weight throw as she unleashed a throw of 60 feet, 3 inches. And if NASCAR is your thing, Recky Stenhouse Jr. and Alex Bowman, they're the first two drivers to qualify for this Sunday's Daytona 500. Stenhouse, who's working with a new team, uh, made them look good 
uh, finished with a top lap of 194.5 miles per hour. That's good enough to get him the pole. That's hauling. That's that's moving pretty good. I bet the Falcons don't go 194. Uh, no. <laughs> if things would maybe. Yeah, the one might hit 100. That's right. <laughs> Things start falling off the car after that. <laughs> Those were made for economy, not racing. But thanks for asking. You bet. That's sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. All right. Thanks, Jason. The Nebraska Department of Motor Vehicles is warning residents of two phone scams targeting licensed Nebraska drivers. The first has callers claiming to represent Amazon or Apple, warning that the targeted victim's account has been hacked. The caller then requests a photo of the front and back of the victim's driver license to verify their identity, followed by a request for their bank information. The second phone scam is from a call claiming to represent the FBI, who then requests a photo of the front and back of the victim's driver license, followed by a demand for money. Trilby Lundberg, publisher of the Lundberg Survey, which tracks gas prices, reports on what gas prices did over the past two weeks. Gasoline prices are still falling. In this case, they're down seven cents on average to two fifty-three. It's been more than eleven cents drop over the past month. Market Watch also reports that oil prices are dropping due to a concern over the coronavirus outbreak. The average price of a gallon of regular gas in Nebraska today is $2.28, according to AAA. Nebraska lawmakers who want to minimize partisanship when they redraw the state's political boundaries will make one final push to change the process before it begins anew next year. But creating an independent commission to guide their work appears to be a lost cause. Barring any changes, the process that's set to begin in the 2021 legislative session will follow the same rules that led to a bitter struggle between Republicans and Democrats during the last redistricting in 2011. Several proposals to create an independent commission to draw legislation, congressional and other districts have stalled, including one vetoed by Republican Governor Pete Ricketts. President Donald Trump is preparing a $4.8 trillion budget plan that rehashes previously rejected spending cuts while leaving Social Security and Medicare benefits untouched. Trump's fiscal 2021 budget plan seeks to wrestle trillion-dollar-plus deficits into balance after 15 years. It isn't likely to generate a serious Washington dialogue about what to do, if anything, this election year, about entrenched fiscal problems that have deficits surging despite a healthy economy. Parasite has won the Best Picture Academy Award, making history as the first foreign language film to win the ceremony's top honor. Bong Joon-ho's thriller has been one of the season's darlings, despite failing to garner any Academy Award nominations for its cast. The film won four Oscars on Sunday, including Best Director for Bong and Best International Film. The South Korean film also edged out 1917, a World War I drama, Joker, Joaquin Phoenix's Best Actor winning film, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's take on the Manson family and life in Hollywood in the late 60s and early 70s. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Austin Jacobson. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters, and I join you today from the Rainwater Basin Joint Venture Annual Meeting, and I've got here someone who received an award, didn't know you were going to receive it. 
the surprise was great. It's Kim Siebert uh, from the Henderson area, and uh, you were awarded for your efforts in your relationship with um, them. Let's talk about that relationship, kind of how it got started, uh, Kim, and and what that's grown into. Well, basically, it started because we 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 started grazing the wetlands of the Kirkpatrick Basin right along I eighty there between York and Bradshaw, and I'd been doing that for almost twenty years. And then finally I met Andy, and he informed me about the Rainwater Joint Venture. And I realized that a lot of my frustrations over the past were with Ducks Unlimited. They would have a set of rules. Nebraska Game Parks would have a set of rules. Pheasants Forever would have a set of rules. And I'm supposed to play by all those rules, but none of those rules even lined up with each other. And so when I met Andy, and he had this cooperation between all these people at the same time, I went, hey, here's something I need to latch on to because they understand what's going on and they're at least talking to each other um it was incredibly frustrating we had one basin that the south basin had a fair amount of trees on it i always put my black cattle there for a little bit more shade let the red cattle have the one that had less shade and they were going to cut down on the trees and i said why well the hawks are eating the baby ducks and i said but you told me i had to graze out the canary grass because there are no baby ducks this is not a nesting area it's just a feeding area well yeah i know I said, I'm cutting down the trees to get rid of the baby ducks that don't exist because I'm supposed to have no nesting material. Yeah. And I went, okay, therein lies why our government works sometimes like it does. And so just having somebody like Andy or the Rainwater Joint Venture that's willing to talk to the different organizations and try to come up with a plan that's at least feasible for everybody involved instead of they're just one species or this species at this time because that's what our train of thought is. And uh, so that's how I kind of got hooked up with Andy. You mentioned that incidents, and I would hope your um, work with them, some of that has been resolved. Talk about um, some of the different things in your unique circumstance with grazing the wetlands. Talk about some of the things that you have experienced in that relationship with them, but even just as a producer yourself. Well, the first thing is you learn is you have a large amount of low-quality forage. And where we run corn stalks in the winter, I'd kind of design my cow herd to kind of work that way. So moving to these basins was kind of a natural progression, I guess. Um, yeah, and I, I just had a, cust- a, bull, a bull customer stop by today that also grazes, and we were discussing these basins, and he says, yeah, not every animal survives down there, do they? And I says, no. I says, it takes a certain kind of animal to survive on these rainwater basins, these duck ponds, as we call them, um, because there, there is. There's a, a lot of stuff out there, but none of it's super high quality. But that doesn't mean it's not usable. And so you just got to figure out how to use it and how to graze it. And we've done some rotational grazing on it, but every year is different. You know, most of the years rotational grazing is not an option because the water's four foot deep in the middle and you can't string electric fence through four foot water. We tried once. It didn't work. What have been some of the biggest benefits you've seen? Obviously, there's a benefit in that relationship and knowing uh, what you can and can't do. Uh, but what have been some of the be- biggest benefits to you as a producer in being able to grace these wetlands or learn more about them? Well, first and foremost, it's got to be a financial decision. And in spite of all the rules and regulations, it is still probably some of the, the most economical grass to graze. Um, Working with Nebraska Game Parks, my, my fees are, are probably, you know, below where I could find grass anywhere else. Two is availability. Uh, it'd be tough to find two 300-acre pastures in York County that weren't a wetland. And so uh, at the part end of the state we're at, 
uh, those are the biggest blocks of grass that aren't being farmed. And so availability was one. The cost was within realm. And I have, like a lot of people, I enjoy wildlife. Um, so it just kind of seemed like a pretty natural fit. Although we did use a kayak to round up cows for the first time this year. I've never done that before. When my son brought that along, I thought he was just being sarcastic. It turned out to work really well. We may use it again in the future. So, you know, you got to be flexible when you have these wetlands because there are no two years alike. The university, I know, came out and did a study. They're going to do a, a plant species count of all the different species on that wetland. And I told him no matter what they came up with, they were wrong. And he goes, why is that? I says, because there are some plants in dry years I never see in wet years. And there's plants in wet years I've never seen in a dry year. And I said, the biggest shock to me was, was when I saw my cows on a, on a cloudy, cool August day out in the middle of the water. And I went, it's not hot. What are they doing out there? So I finally walked out there to check. And, yeah, there are plants that grow below the surface of the water that just come to the surface for light that those cows will close their nostrils, reach down, grab a mouthful of whatever, and pull it up and eat it like a bunch of elephants or mooses, you know. And it's like, hmm, didn't see that one coming either. And so, yeah, it's just been fun seeing that. And, you know, there's always ducks of some kind out there and, and different type of habitat. And it's just, it's just kind of enjoyable, you know, almost like a little retreat every time you go check cows. All right, thanks, Kim. Kim Siebert, he was recently awarded by the Rainwater Basin Joint Venture at their annual meeting in Grand Island. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. This is our midday, but our business report here on midday. Stocks uh, in the overnight, uh, not so good. And so they have recovered from that disappointing evening here in the United States, at least a little bit. The Japanese Nikkei uh, down 141 points. The Hong Seng in Hong Kong was down 161. London's FTSE was down 19 in the German DAX index was also down 19. The 10-year yield uh, down 2% here in the United States. Now, the Dow Jones has rallied as it is up 59 right now. The NASDAQ up 61. And the Standard & Poor is up 9. Bob? Tech companies and retailers have led U.S. stocks a little bit higher, adding to last week's gains. Microsoft and Amazon rose. Strong earnings help push Botox maker Allergan higher. Communications and healthcare companies help to round out some of the top gainers. Elsewhere, the Justice Department says four Chinese military hackers have been charged with breaking into the computer networks of the Equifax Credit Reporting Agency and stealing the personal information of tens of millions of Americans. Law enforcement officials say the four are also accused of stealing the company's trade secrets. The defendants are all members of the People's Liberation Army, an arm of the Chinese military. We won't be able to actually try them in a court of law anytime soon because, well, they're elsewhere in another country. However, the Justice Department saying we know where they are, kind of, and uh, if they ever slip up, we'll be there to do something about it. So anyway, uh, the owner of Schick is ending its $1.37 billion acquisition deal for upstart shaving company Harry's. After the Federal Trade Commission sued to block the sale, the FTC had argued that a combination of Schickmaker, Edgewell, and Harry's would hurt 
competition. So that kind of is stalled out right now. The average U.S. price of regular grade gasoline dropped seven cents per gallon to two dollars fifty-three cents over the past two weeks. Industry analyst Trilby Lundberg of the Lundberg Survey saying on Sunday the gas prices responded to falling crude oil costs. The price of the pump is nineteen cents higher than it was a year ago. The highest average price in this nation for regular grade gas is three dollars fifty-four cents per gallon in the San Francisco Bay Area and the lowest average is two dollars and four cents in Baton Rouge Louisiana not too many people are going to be driving down there to take advantage of that but uh, it's nice to know the average price of diesel is three dollars down a nickel that's what's happening in the world of business are you uh, driving down to Baton Rouge to get some gas? No, I don't think so. Okay. Not anytime soon. But uh, they have wonderful food. Uh huh. Little Cajun. And uh, I mean, what a wonderful area of the country. You could get yourself uh, some uh, jambalaya, listen to some Creole. Oh my! And uh, get Blues. yourself a full tank of gas. Yes. Yes. What and a deal. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Thousands gathered in San Antonio, Texas for the annual Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show last week. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Among the 9,000 attendees of the convention were several students from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. They're part of a program known as the Nebraska Beef Industry Scholars. It is a minor to develop the future leaders of the beef industry. It combines learning opportunities provided by the Nebraska Beef Industry and the University of Nebraska-Lincoln faculty. The senior class travels to NCBA with UNL professor Dr. Brad Lubin. Well, the Nebraska Beef Industry Scholars Program is a group of students that has focused on beef industry issues from their freshman year through their senior year. And at their senior year, the last semester, is this opportunity to engage in the broader industry uh, and come to the convention and see policy and process with policy committee uh, meetings focusing on uh, major policy issues in Washington, D.C., from international trade to regulatory uh, uh, issues and, and other, uh, other challenges, uh, as well as the checkoff committees that, that meet here and talk about funding choices, uh, directions for use of checkoff funds, whether it's uh, commodity promotion or whether it's research and other advocacy efforts. Uh, it's important to see how that works in the industry, and this is a chance for students to do that. Lubin says the program has a rich history of creating the leaders of the beef industry. We've been coming to this convention for more than a decade, uh, so there's quite a few alums of the program, if you will, that are out there uh, actively engaged in the industry now and becoming leaders in their own right. And I fully expect uh, each class and this class particularly to go do those things, great things in the future too. Austin Freeman is a UNL student from Pierce, Nebraska. I think it's uh, a great experience to, one, network with a lot of cattle producers, across, not just in Nebraska where I'm from, but uh, across, the, across the nation. I think that's probably the biggest uh, thing that I've enjoyed um, while here at the convention. So. He says his favorite part of the convention was the Cattle Facts session. Uh, I think probably the, the best meeting I've been to so far is the market outlook. Uh, this with cattle facts. Um, it was it's a very good le uh, learning experience, especially um, because marketing is a big, uh, big thing in the cattle industry. If you're going to uh, be profitable or not, so uh, I thought I learned a lot in that, and that was probably one of my favorite meetings I've been to so far. So, 
As for Austin's future plans... I'll return home, uh, back home to Pierce, Nebraska, help out on the family cow-calf operation and uh, uh, grow, grow the business with my brothers and my dad, so that's my plan. UNL senior Anna Kobza of David City agrees that the networking has been incredibly valuable. I think it's just a really good opportunity to network with other students, um, professionals, producers here at the convention to learn more about the issues that we're facing, to be aware and informed of what's happening in the political realm. So when we go back to our day-to-day lives, we can have real conversations with producers, professionals, and our consumers about the reform and the change that we want to see in the industry. The students also took in some of the sights and sounds of the trade show. Man, there is a lot of stuff at that trade show, and each time I walk through the the halls, I find more than I saw before, and it's easy to miss a lot of things, but lots of cool things there to see, lots of universities promoting their programs, uh, lots of feed companies, manufacturing companies. You see a lot of stuff there, lots of free stuff. Um, You walk through the halls, koozies, sorting sticks, all kinds of things, so it's really fun to connect with people there as well. Anna says after graduating from UNL, she'd like to continue her education. Um, right now, I'm looking at grad schools in Texas, looking to study ruminant nutrition so that uh, someday I can consult in the industry. For more audio and video coverage from the 2020 Cattle Industry Convention, you can visit us online at ruralradio.com. I'm Bryce Duskit reporting on the Rural Radio Network. on the Rural Radio Network. Let's look at our grain settlements with John Payne of Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, we're a little mixed on the close. Kansas City wheat tried to make a comeback. Soybeans maintained green most of the trading day. All this kind of starting with positive export inspections this morning. Yeah, very good. And uh, specifically on the feed grain side, some numbers there should add up to uh, what, what should be a pretty good month as far as uh, month-over-month demand. I think you're going to see the USDA come in tomorrow morning with both wheat and corn feeds right where they had it, maybe even increasing it a little bit. I think exports uh, could go up in wheat and could go sideways in corn, and um, I think we're all kind of not expecting a change in yield, but I, that still is out there because of the resurvey. So, um, you know, long run here, I think there's there's a move coming, but we do face delivery in, in 20 days, and I think any rally here up to the mid-380s on corn and $9 on beans should probably be sold, at least in the short run. As well, we take a look over at the currencies, the dollar index analysts starting to look at long-term, maybe holding where we're at, back to those October highs, the sterlings falling today. That's obviously going to continue pressure. Yeah, especially on the wheat side. And I, I look at Chicago wheat being very, very long. Spec longs are, I mean, we're not record long, but we're darn close. And I think that's uh, that's something you got to be a little bit concerned about here. On the U.S. dollar index, if you're looking at, a place to short it. This is the March high right here from, from October. Uh, going to the front months, you, you got to go out a little bit further than that. Um, but you know, you kind of think got to think on the other side here. I'm not a big believer that this is going to blow out. Um, maybe a retest of the 99 level, but I think at some point you'll see the Fed get involved if the dollar would tighten that much. One thing that's not going to be talked about in this dollar index is the just the strength in the dollar versus the Brazilian currency. The RAI is at a four-year low this morning, uh, and it's it's going to be difficult to get grains to really move uh, with uh, currencies so weak down there. So you got to root for some some recovery, some weakness in the dollar. I think that, and maybe some uh, continued rains in Brazil to keep the the corn farmers out of the fields is really the best case scenario we can get for corn. For beans, I'm not sure anything I can really paint outside of. You know, low acreage is going to be too bullish in the near term. And speaking of that weather forecast, looks like Argentina could see continue to see some dry. Is that going to impact the crop? Uh, I I think the Argentinian weather is 
gotten good enough that we don't have to worry too much about it. And I, again, if I'm focused on anything, it's going to be too wet in Brazil, northeast Brazil. So they're harvesting their beans right now. Bean harvest pace is right on pace. They're expecting the corn to go in. Um, but again, with that currency that I talked about being so weak, those farmers are probably going to plant corn regardless. So they'll plant it late if they have to, and that, that probably keeps a little bit of a ceiling under the, on, the, on the corn markets, even if we have a, a bullish USDA report tomorrow. John Payne, Daniel Zag Marketing. Do you remember trading futures and options involves risk of loss? It may not be suitable for all investors. And that's going to do it for our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcast on KRVN. Brought to you by Devaney Motors. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Devaney Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DaviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Davini deal.